He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We're glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. Here's this week's message. I have memories when I was a child of um, things happening around the house, breaking down, falling apart or whatever, and my dad going to uh, do the repairs and my mom asking him, are you sure you're up for the task? <laughs> asking him, should, should we get a professional in here to do this? Uh, wondering if, he was, uh, if it was going to be done and, and done right. And I remember my dad struggling through it and working it out. And this is before the days of YouTube. Like, like you really had to know. You had to, you, had to, you had to figure it out. And so you can just watch somebody train you through each and every step like I can. And uh, it, was always, it was always amazing that, you know, uh, he, he, he come through. He did all right. And, uh, of course, now it means my mom always has a new project for him. It always seems like there's some area of the house that's getting remodeled. And my dad will say something like, I thought I was retired. <laughs> uh, not from whatever my mom has in store for you. So, uh, but those were just kind of the things we found out. Sometimes it's hard when, uh, uh, to get things done right when you have someone saying, wait, are you really able to do this? When someone casts doubt on what you're able to do, and that's kind of what's happening in Ezra chapter 4, they have, uh, we're doing this series of kind of like looking at uh, restoring our faith, looking at kind of discovering who we are and what God wants to do uh, with us and our faith this year. And last week we talked about the most important thing, of course, is recognizing that Jesus is the foundation for our faith and everything that we do afterwards is based and grounded on who Jesus is for us, his grace and his love in our life, and that uh, we are kind of following the story of the people coming back from exile, rebuilding the temple, because they want to make the worship of God first and foremost in their life. They want to lay the foundation for that temple. In Ezra chapter 4, they reach some adversity. Ezra chapter 4, verse 1 says, When the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of families and said to them, Well, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing him ever since the days of King Asar Hadan of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of families in Israel said to them, You shall have no part with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus of Persia has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah, made them afraid to build, and they bribed officials to frustrate their plan throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia and until the reign of King Darius of Persia. Uh, I'm going to skip some of these verses. What I'm skipping is a part where the king in between Darius and Cyrus, Ahasuerus, or Artaxerxes, that king gets a letter where they say, hey, they're building a temple. Uh, You better watch out for them. And then in verse 23, then when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and the scribe Shimshai and their associates, they hurried to the Jews in Jerusalem by force and power made them cease. At that time, the work on the house of God in Jerusalem stopped and was discontinued until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. Yeah, kind of, the ending's there. Despite the adversity, everything stops. Uh, 
their, their foes are successful. You might say, well, why this animosity? What is, what is happening here? Um, why wouldn't they let them help build? And why are they frustrating everything that's going on? And there's a, there's a big history that, goes, that takes place here. The people of God... Um, are coming back from Babylon. King Cyrus said, hey, you can come back, you can build the temple. And uh, as I said before, there, there was a, uh, the people of God had been carried into exile before as well. There had been a, almost, almost like a civil war, but uh, they had, there had been a split between Israel and Judah. The Assyrians to the north had taken Israel away and uh, uh, taking them away from their lands and uh, had kind of spread them out throughout the rest of their known, known lands. That's the way the Assyrians took over the world. One of the problems, whenever a nation took over another nation, they'd find themselves saying, how do we make sure the nations we just took over don't revolt? Well, the way the Assyrians did it is they said, well, we'll just uproot them, put them somewhere else, and they'll be too busy trying to figure out where is it, what is this new land I'm living in, and we'll put new people there, and they'll just all intermingle, they'll all become Assyrians, and like... If you're not around your nationality, if you're not around your people, there's no, like, there's, there's no uh, working together to revolt. And so that was just their strategy. And uh, the Babylonians, when they've come and they've reigned and finally they've let them come back, what they've come back to are people in that land who are not at all affiliated with the people of God. And you might say, well, 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 Tim, how do you know this history? How do you know this story? How do we know that that is a part of what happened? And it's actually told in 2 Kings chapter 17. It kind of gives the basis for this history, the whole history of, of them not liking at all the people from Samaria. And I'm just going to share that with you real quick. 2 Kings 17, if you've got quick fingers, you can flip to that and follow along if you want. But I'm just going to read five verses, starting at verse 24. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim and placed them in the cities of Samaria in place of the people of Israel. They took possession of Samaria and settled in its cities. When they settled there, they did not worship the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them and killed some of them. And so the king of Assyria was told, The nations that you've carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land, therefore he set lions among them, and they're killing them because they don't know the law of the God of the land. And the king of Assyria commanded, well, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there. Let him go and live there and teach them the law of the God of the land. And so one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel, and he taught them how they should worship the Lord. But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the people of Samaria had made, every nation in the cities in which they lived. And so that's kind of the background, if you will. And so uh, the Assyrians had, had put people in place there to kind of settle that land. And just like King Cyrus, if you remember from last week, King Cyrus in his letter, he said, oh, we, we, we want to have our people back in there because there was a God in this land that I want on my side. And so the King Cyrus of Babylon has the same idea of the Assyrians. Okay, there's a God of this land that we have to appease. And so when he has people settle there and things aren't going right and they're attacked by lions, he says, oh, we have to, we have to appease this God. Let's send a priest there to teach him how to do that. And so, but the mindset is that this God, they call Lord, who they name Yahweh, this, this God, the God of fa the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this one, 
Uh, this God is more than just any other God. But those who have settled in Samaria haven't understood that. He's just treated as one of any number, just a God of the land. And that is their way of interacting with him. But the people of God who are coming back to Judah, they know that he is not just a God of the land. He is a God of the world. And this land has been gifted and graced to his people. That this, he's not just a God of a region, he's a God of the entire world. And so when it comes to building his temple, the last thing that they want is for people who have mixed in with all the other gods building this temple and mixing those gods in with God's temple. And so they say, no, you don't get a part of this at all. It gives a whole lot more credence to what was happening in Ezra chapter 2, the chapter that I, I kind of skipped because it's a long genealogy. It's not them just saying, oh, this is our history, this is who we are. It's them recording. We are actually the people who were sent from exile and we've come back. We're not a separate group of people from who knows what other nation who has come back to settle in Judah. We are the original Judahites who have come back, or the Judeans who have come back, and we are here and settled this land. We are the people who, who know our God, the one true God of this world. This is, just to give you a side, this is the whole basis. And then this, this fighting that's going to happen as they try to rebuild the temple from Samaritans who have a hint of who God is, but really it's just been mixed in with other gods. This is why, all the way up until the time of Jesus, they don't like Samaritans. When Jesus says, hey, we're going to go to Galilee and we've got to go through Samaria, and the disciples are like, wait, what? When, when you hear about the tale of the Samaritan woman and he's at the well and he's asking for a drink, and the Samaritan woman says something, but we know Jews don't associate with Samaritans. It goes back to this history. It goes back to this animosity that they had. And uh, when you hear the story of the Good Samaritan, it's a story that now when we hear that story, we just mean, uh, it means you're doing something good for someone when no one else would. But when Jesus told that story, of course, it was a story that said, yeah, even the person you don't like <laughs> might do something uh, uh, for God might do something important to show love for neighbor and surprise you. And so the, this, this, the whole story in the background comes back to this, is a people who had stopped them and thwarted them from building their temple. And I find in this story a story that indeed, when we are growing in our relationship with God or desiring indeed to see how God is going to build up and help us out, that sometimes there is adversity in the midst of that. And this is exactly what is happening to the people of God. They slow things down and discourage them. This isn't just any kind of discouragement. This isn't just, eh, you can't do it. You're not good enough. You're not talented enough. And they're not just insulting them and then saying, yeah, come back and I'll taunt you a second time. They're, no, they are, they are just, they're absolutely doing everything they can to stop them from being able to build this temple. They are bribing people. They're working together. They're, they're doing everything they can. They say, hey, I know King Cyrus has said you can do this, so you know what? We're just going to stall things until there's a new leader. And so a group of people frustrating and discouraging any potential movement until the leader they like is in place, that is nothing new. That is, that's politics as old as time. And so this is what they are trying to do, trying to say, hey, we're going to stop this as much as we can because they recognize if they build up, then they become kind of the greater force there. They don't like that idea at all. And I think sometimes... 
in our faith and our walking life, sometimes we recognize there's adversity and there's challenge, and it can absolutely diminish and impact our walk and our faith. And that can happen when someone specifically says, oh, wait, I know you. I know your past. I know what you're about. And they think, well, this faith thing is just a phase or a fad, and, and they immediately discount it. That can be discouraging. But sometimes it's nothing that vocal. Sometimes it's something much more internal. It's something as simple as, where in the world am I supposed to have fine time to pray? That was always the, uh, the question I heard most often whenever uh, I hear a special speaker at like an SDMI, a Sunday School or Discipleship Ministries uh, convention on the district. When someone's talking about getting together with God, I'll get, there'll always be someone who says, well, how do I do that? I have children, and when I get up in the morning and I get them breakfast, I get them ready for school, and then I go to work, and I come back, and then I help them with their homework, and then I get them dinner, and then I tuck them in. I'm exhausted. How do I have time even to pray or grow closer to God? What happens? There's, there's, there's things that get in the way, even if it's good things, things I love and care about. Other things get in the way when there's hurt or there's pain involved. How do we find the energy to speak to God, especially when there's questions and concerns in that or what about when there's failure and there's guilt associated with that how do i how do i approach the throne of grace when i know that there's all this failure in my past and this those kind of moments are moments that can set us up and derail what god wants to do they're real questions i found myself Thinking as we were singing that song, I said, "Well, maybe I'll tell her story." So, so I think I will. Um, Nessie, Nessie came and, and joined us um, one Sunday. Just, just, just walked in. We didn't know who she was. She said, "I heard the singing. I thought I would come in." She hadn't been going to a church, but she was someone who had grown up in the church and and had the faith. But she, she, she had since she had come to America, she hadn't found a church. She hadn't found a church home at all, and she was wondering, uh, you know, what to do with this. And so she was walking to work or walking, walking to work, and she was like, she, she must have been really early. And I think about it, because, I mean, it's Sunday morning. It's not like the, the shift just ended, because she was going to a, a local restaurant. But she stopped into our worship service for a moment. And, uh, and then she kept coming back. And, uh, and we found out that uh, while she was living here, and she was working, she, um, uh, she was living with her dad. She was here on a family visa. As, as the year progressed, we realized her home situation was pretty terrible, um, that uh, she was being absolutely taken advantage of in terms of uh, what was expected of her uh, while she was there, in terms of uh, financially being taken advantage of, and all kinds of things. And finally, at one point, uh, she got kicked out, and Jen had long ago said, hey, if you need a place to stay, you come over and you, you stay with us. And so she came knocking on her door, on her door saying she had been kicked out. And I remember this, and, and so uh, I remember asking her after, after she stayed with us that night, and we knew this might uh, roll on to be a little bit longer. And I said, do you have everything? You got kicked out. Do you have everything? She says, no, my dad has it, and he's holding it, and he won't let me have uh, my things. I said, your driver's license, your green card, the things that you're going to need to kind of prove that you can be here, like uh, he won't let you have that. He says, no. I said, you have to have that. And I remember we had a, uh, I remember I, I called the police ahead of time to, to uh, help us out to make sure there wouldn't be a domestic dispute or anything, kind of preempt all of that. 
And, uh, and we, and this, in that whole time, as she's navigating how to live in a new country and how to uh, find out what, what God has for her, and she is so absolutely crestfallen at first when she moves in with us and, uh, and we have to get her help and get her things uh, that were being held hostage by her father. And I remember she was so nervous because she felt like she had dishonored her father and uh, uh, because of just the, the incredible kind of mental kind of pressure he had had on her for years and years and years. And, uh, and so she was very nervous that God was going to leave and uh, be away from her. She was trying to figure out, how do I overcome all the different hurdles that I'm facing again and again? And yet, I, I find myself thinking of that story as we were singing a song that she would have sang in church in the midst of all of those kinds of things happening, yet still saying, singing, how great is our God and recognizing that He is with her and He is with us in times of struggle, in times of transition, where you don't know where you are, where, you're effect- where she, was, she was effectively homeless and, uh, until she realized, oh, uh, I'm going to call this place home and, she, uh, and, um, and was able to stay with us for, for a few years. Um, this, is, this is a moment in which that foundation in Jesus Christ and recognizing that God is the one who is with us at all times, never leaves or forsakes us and loves us. And with us in the face of, tri- of trials and challenges and adversity in whatever shape or form that it comes. And in Ezra chapter 4, um, they write a letter to the king. And they say to him, hey, if you let him, them build the wall... Do you know what happened the last time they built the wall? The last time they built the wall, they refused to give you payments. They became upstarts. They started arguing with you. They, they didn't listen to you at all. And uh, King Artaxerxes is like, okay, well, maybe that's the case. Let me go back in the annals and let me go back in the records and kind of figure this out. So he gets their people and they do that because that's the old way you did research. Now, Jen and I, you know, we used to, uh, when we were first married, when we, we had, when we had to figure something else, we just guess what the solution was and argue about it a little bit. Now we just go to Google, and we're like, oh, okay, yep, I was right, or you were right, or whatever the case was. Usually, now it's just like, who sang what song? But, uh, but you know, Google's for everything. But, then, you know, King, the king didn't have that, so they go into their archives, and they find, the, uh, uh, they find the records, and look, and sure enough, there is in their records of the people of Judah having... Uh, argue with them and not pay tribute to them. And that's why there was the exile in the first place. And so uh, he says, okay, you're right, you're right. Uh, And they go back and say, you're to stop all the building that Cyrus said you could do. It's done. It's over with. It was a good run, but we're finished now. And it's in moments like this, in seasons like that, when we go, wait, what? God, are you, are you here in that moment? Are you here in that darkness? I, I, I can't imagine what the, whole, what, what the disciples of Jesus did on Holy Saturday. That day in between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Okay, we had given our entire life to this. Now what? What do we do with this? Do they spend that day in mourning? Or do they go back to their fishing nets? Like, what happens that day trying to make sense out of everything that has gone wrong? 
Paul will recognize in his ministry and all his letters and what he does, that he recognizes that his ministry bears with it a lot of trial, a lot of activity against him. In fact, he will say to the church in Corinth, as he's addressing those who are bragging and talking about everything that God is is doing to speak through them and work through them and how talented and how skilled they are, Paul is going to say, you know what, if I'm going to boast about anything, it's going to be about my weaknesses. It's going to be about what I've had to go through for the gospel. And he says, because I know that in doing this, God is lifted up. And he recognized that even in those moments, those are moments where we can, might be able to see that God works in ways that we can't ever take credit for. And so even in a passage like this, where we find uh, the people of God have come back and they've said, we want to make worship of God central in our life and who we are. We want to rebuild and we want to restore this. We want to live out the promise that Haggai uh, had shared with Zerubbabel that uh, this temple is going to be greater than any before. That this time of faith is going to be greater and more beautiful and splendorous than ever before. They say, we want that. But it seems right now, yet again, there's been another barrier, there's been another problem, there's an adversary that is getting in the way. And yet, we will find as we continue on that God will be with them through that. That part of the reason why the Judeans say, no, we're the ones building this, because they recognize Their God is the one who leads people from slavery, leads people out of exile, is with us even in winter seasons, even in moments where it's like, man, it's still so dark and it's still so uh, foreboding, but yet in those seasons of life, God is with us. Uh, in, In a moment, we'll be having communion. Jesus is going to go into that rebuilt temple And in the beginning of John, in chapter 2, verse 19, he he says to the people, he says, if you destroy this temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. And the people are like, what? That's crazy. Do you know the struggles we went through to build this temple? Do you know the adversity we had to overcome to build this temple? And they're like, this makes no sense at all. But what the gospel writers tell us is Jesus was talking about where God, his own body, where God is dwelling in the flesh. And saying, even if you destroy this, God will raise it up. Because God is in the business of restoring life and faith in his believers. And that has been what I've seen again and again in the lives of people who have had the privilege of pastoring, of opening up homes to, because God spoke through Jen and told me I had to. <laughs> and uh, in ways in which... God just moves and overcomes barriers time and time again. That even in those moments we can find our God isn't finished yet. And if we remember the foundation in Jesus Christ and who He is, that God will continue to lift us up and restore us. And we find indeed that He is still raising and breathing life into His people. And so we find God Indeed, in the person of Jesus Christ, precisely in the one who has been destroyed for us and for our salvation and nonetheless welcomes us in, precisely in whatever season of life we are in, precisely whatever chapter of Ezra we find ourselves. Saying, come and receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is with us, and he will see us through every challenge and adversity that we face. And you are welcome to come forward today to receive that grace. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for um, opportunities to see that uh, your grace and your salvation is proven again and again in the scriptures. And even in moments where we pause and we say we are in between the promise and the fulfillment this week. We can see that uh, in those moments of life where we say, I don't know if I can still see the promise. We can say, but I know who Jesus is. I know the foundation of grace and promise that you have made. And I'll rest on that. And so, Heavenly Father, today, it is my hope and it's my prayer that as as we come forward to receive um, Holy Communion, that we come in full assurance that you are the God who is with your people each and every moment and that uh, the table is open and your grace is available for moments like these. And help us, Heavenly Father, to come in faithfulness and obedience and trust that you are here. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you abundantly as you serve him today.